Hello, uh, you're listening to the Cambridge American History Seminar podcast. Uh, this is the third episode in our series of brief conversations with academics who come to present at our weekly seminar. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Lewis DeFreitz, I'm a PhD student at Sydney Sussex College here in Cambridge, and today I'm joined by a man whose name carries a certain weight in these halls, uh, Professor Anthony Badger. Tony is a Professor of American History at Northumbria University and is also the Emeritus Paul Mellon Professor of American History here at Cambridge and the Emeritus Master of Clare College, Cambridge. Uh, can't talk for long about American history in Britain without someone mentioning Tony's name, and rightly so. Gary Gerstle, the current Mellon Professor, credits him with making American history at Cambridge a big deal and says, and I quote, we all stand on his shoulders. As such, it's a delight to be able to talk to him today. Tony is a historian of the 20th century United States uh, with a focus on political change in the American South, both pre- and post-Second World War. He has written widely on both the New Deal and the Southern Manifesto, and his 2008 book, FDR, The First Hundred Days, which was published by Hill and Wang, received attention on both sides of the Atlantic, especially in the wake of the financial crisis of that year. That book is still available on paperback. Perhaps of particular interest to listeners at this podcast would be an article entitled Confessions of a British Americanist that was published in the Journal of American History back in 1992. I'd recommend giving it a read. Uh, it's very interesting to see just how much has changed and how much has really stayed the same in the last 25 years. Tony, thanks very much for joining me. Pleasure. Now, we're going to talk uh, about the paper you're giving today at the seminar. Uh, it's relation to some of your wider work and perhaps some of your broader experiences as a historian. Now, your paper today is titled, Writing the Biography of Albert Gore Senior, Confessions of an Unlikely Biographer. Could you tell me a little bit more about this? <coughs> well, it's a, it, I have a, a book on Albert Gore coming out uh, in November, uh, and it's been a long time coming, because I was first asked to write it back in uh, 2000. Mm. Um, and <coughs> the, I, I had always thought that I would never write a biography. Uh, and I grew up at a time when, and uh, came into American history at the time, um, when I was rather sceptical about the value of biography. Uh, and indeed I wrote a, 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 an essay later on about uh, the New Deal, which entitled The New Deal Without FDR, What Biographies of Roosevelt Cannot Tell Us. Right. Um, and I was very sceptical, particularly of the multi-volume American uh, penchant for multi-volume biographies of uh, American presidents in particular, uh, and felt that all too often they didn't actually tell us anything about the historical issues oh, yeah. that, that we needed to know about. And so partly the paper is about how did I come to write this. Uh, and, uh, and as I said, I came to write it because I was asked to in the first instance. Uh, I used to work on, uh, still work on, uh, the new generation of Southerners that Roosevelt identified in the 1930s. He was talking to Norman Thomas in 1936, the social Thomas was complaining about what the New Deal hadn't done for Southern sharecroppers. Mm. And Roosevelt said, look, you've got to be patient, you've got to work with the Southerners as they are at the moment, but don't worry, there's a new generation of Southerners coming on. And so I was always interested in what happened to that generation, yeah. some of whom came up in my first book on tobacco program in the 1930s. Uh, and in the process of doing that, I started to look at the Southern Manifesto of 1956, and in particular what... Uh, uh, Southerners who didn't sign, um, who stood out against popular opinion apparently and didn't refuse to sign it, a very small number. Uh, and one of those was Albert Gore, mm. and he had papers in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I went to look at those, uh, and it was out of that and the work that I'd done there, and I spoke at a conference in 1997 in Murfreesboro, at which Gore was still alive. Um, 
<laughs> and then out of the blue I got the invitation to would I be consider writing a biography of Gore and that invitation came in early 2000 and for a year I didn't hear anything because uh, they were trying to, the people who'd asked me felt they needed to run the potential names past Al Gore and in 2000 Al was rather busy. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I mean, it's 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 partly the paper's partly about a cha- the, the challenges mm. facing a biographer. Um, you have voluminous papers. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is the difference between now and the nineteen thirties for many politicians. Um, in the nineteen thirties, uh, Senate politicians and congressmen who I looked at. Um, didn't have a vast amount of case studies and constituency case study business. And so the paper's fairly manageable. They're also rather revealing because, you know, a senator like Josiah Bailey of North Carolina would spend a lot of time explaining to constituents in rather long letters about where he he stood, you know. uh, And, of course, they they, uh, didn't do very much. They would have done business by phone, but but not not a huge amount. Mm. Um, so that was that was one challenge. How do you master the volume of papers? And second was oral history. I'd never really done any systematic oral history before. Uh, my students had. Um, they became very skilled in oral history, both on the civil rights movement and, in particular, Tim Minchin, who became a historian of the, was a historian of the Southern Labour movement. Um, they they got wonderful interviews and histories from uh, from people. Uh, and they carefully took transcripts and did all the right things in oral history. Uh, I interviewed the odd person <laughs> in my earlier work, but I had never taken any, never taken any recordings, right, <laughs> just yeah. taking notes as I was going through. Uh, and uh, so it was uh, that was um, it was it was a new experience for me to be uh, talking to a, a lot of people, uh, and it was fascinating because you know I talked to people, um, obviously people locally who knew Gore. But um, to people like Ted Kennedy mm-hmm. and Howard Baker and Lamar Alexander, um, and uh, it, it, and it's a very—I re- mean, I, I I became very aware of the, the strengths and weaknesses of all history. Right. Okay. So I suppose I'm not sure if this is a leading question, but would you say that your your work on oral history and biography in particular does it necessarily have to rest on a foundation of like broader political and social histories? Mine does. I yeah. mean, it doesn't have to. I, I, I've come away generally with a much greater admiration for biographers right, okay. than, I, than I had before, and also a great admiration for journalists mm-hmm. than I had before. Uh, there are two areas of the biography of Gore which um, journalists have certainly would have certainly probably explored more um, significantly than I have. The, the biography is very much a political life, and here is the papers are very political. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're really not very much personal stuff in them. Um, that I mainly gleaned from all histories in there. But there are two areas of um, Gore's life which I think historian, uh, you know, a journalist would have focused more than I have. Mm. Uh, one was uh, obviously the relationship with Al. Yeah. Um, and in my, uh, Al gave me a fantastic, a couple of fantastic interviews, but I rather chickened out of the question of um, uh, did, did your relationship with your father permanently um, deform your character, which is what uh, some you know, people have written about. I'll yeah. say, uh, did you know? Was he too controlling? Did he make you sort of slightly um, robotic or extra cautious? Whereas, in fact, when you talk to him, Al Gore, he couldn't be more relaxed and charming and 
I'm funny. Yeah. Which is not the image people. That's have. yeah, not the characterisation at the time. Um, at all, yeah. And the second area is is uh, Gore's relationship with the Armand Hammer, the head of Occidental. Mm -hmm. uh, Gore and Hammer were in the cattle raising business uh, in the 1950s, uh, which was largely uh, they had a mutual interest in Ang Ag Aberdeen Angus cattle. And the, the cattle used to basically certainly winter on Gore's farm down in, in, in Tennessee. Uh, and people, and, late, and then after Gore left uh, office, um, he was started out as a lawyer in Washington uh, and then ended up uh, eventually as chairman of the Island Creek Coal Company, which is a subsidiary of, of Armand Hammer's Occidental Company. Right. So people raised two questions. Wasn't it slightly inconsistent for this sort of populist type politician to be working for a giant oil company? Uh, and secondly, uh, the assumption about amongst Hammer's biographers, who are very hostile to Hammer and see him as a, uh, in part, um, possibly as a Soviet agent, but certainly as highly corrupt. Right. Um, you know, what was the Gore's relationship with him? Uh, and, and as far as I can see, um, and of course a lot of that put the um, uh, publicity on that mm -hmm. came out very much, it was, was exacerbated by the 2000 election, right. uh, when they were looking at Al's relationships and all that. Uh, and, um, and I've taken a relatively uh, laid back view on it, that uh, I mean, I've seen the checks that Gore wrote to Hammer for feed costs and things like that. And it seems to me, having, having studied Louisiana politics most of my life, um, in Louisiana politics, the person who is being allegedly being corrupted doesn't write checks to the person corrupting. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I was, yeah, I'd be always be deeply skeptical. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, I'm sure when the reviewers come out, they will say that I've gone easy on this. Mm -hmm. uh, people in the Gore family circle think uh, I spent too much time talking about how. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, can't please anyone, I suppose. Would you say that um, part of the reason for your focus compared to journalists is that your prior experience is to do with America in the period rather than looking backwards at Al Gore's and trying to trace it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was yeah. very much looking at this. This is, uh, you know, Gore got elected to Congress in 1938 mm. uh, and um, he got elected. Well, in fact, all the candidates he ran against in 1938 were in favour of the New Deal, but Gore was a classic young, ambitious Southerner who wanted to see investment in the region's infrastructure uh, and generally in favour of, of New Deal-type policies. Uh, and so that's where I taking, was taking it forward. Um, and then he got involved, and in the Senate in particular, a whole range of policy issues most famously on civil rights in Vietnam, mm -hmm. or rather his stances on civil rights and Vietnam, um, were raised real issues about how uh, a southerner handles um, race, a southern liberal handles race in the post-war years, where in the 1930s they didn't have to bother about mm -hmm. race, but they did after 1945. And secondly, uh, um, that's, the South is the most militaristic um, part of the country. And, and uh, where does where does standing cause early opposition to the Vietnam War? Where how, how does that, that play out? So you've got those areas, but you've got I mean, Gore was uh, highly on the Senate Finance Committee was very much involved in uh, questions of taxation, very much opposed to the Kennedy tax cut, um, and he was very much opposed to high interest rates and sort of traditional business running of uh, 
of the Federal Reserve. Um, he was author of a Farm Act in 1949. Um, a theme, a constant theme, is his defence of the Tennessee Valley Authority, and that had important national connotations in the 1950s. Uh, and so you've got to master that. Yeah. Then you have to master atomic energy. Uh, Gore wanted to make Tennessee the atomic capital of the nation, um, and uh, but also got involved, uh, having had a certain enthusiasm for tactical nuclear weapons in his early career, uh, he, he was very much involved in uh, nuclear disarmament conferences on nuclear testing in the 1950s in Geneva. And in some ways his stance that uh, there was no point in trying to get um, ratification of underground testing. Uh, the thing to do was to do what you could do, which was to get ratification of mm. um, uh, atmospheric testing, and that ultimately is what the 1963 uh, test ban act okay. is about. Yeah. Uh, and then he was from an early point involved with Medicare uh, and the other area of, of considerable. Well, he's the main Senate sponsor of the Interstate Highway Act in 1956, mm -hmm. which has enormous implications for uh, the infrastructure in the South, generally Tennessee in particular. Yeah. It just seems like it would be impossible to write a biography of a character like this without having a pre-existing area of expertise in 1930s to 50s. Well, I mean, I mean, politics yeah, and beyond, you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, you, you, you're conscious all the time yeah. of, 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 of in a sense, am I, am, I, am I into this subject enough? You know? mm -hmm. um, uh, do I know enough about uh, campaign finance, which is another of his interests? Yeah. Um, and uh, you sort of have to master the technicalities of that and then try and explain that in ways that don't make the reader go to sleep. Course, and, yeah. and, uh, and depart from and, and you know there's a danger that Gore will disappear from the pages mm -hmm. for pages on at the time when you're trying to explain the issue right, yeah. <laughs> and that's again not, not what a journalist would do absolutely yeah so would you say that this work whether it's uh, to do with writing about uh, Albert Gore or just writing biography more generally has that in any way made you reconsider your previous work and research is there anything that's changed your mind um, well, I am much more um, much more sympathetic to biographers, uh, and, and it's, I've been I have been much more interested in the, the question of for uh, for an example of what um, uh, you know the, the distinctive distinctive insights you can get from looking at Roosevelt himself rather than what I was originally interested in, which is New Deal policies and their implementation, um, and at various points, both in terms of his um, early pre-New Deal career, uh, and then later on in the in the war, uh, you can't avoid becoming interested that, that you know, how important certain trades that Roosevelt had yeah. um, were in, in delivering policy and and the nature of the policy that was delivered. Um, I mean, one of the things that Roosevelt knew that almost no other American president has known or implemented was that you can never over-flatter an American congressman. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, well, someone like Obama, Trump isn't interested, mm -hmm. and someone like Obama, like Obama just couldn't bring himself to do that. Right. Roosevelt is very comfortable. It had important policy consequences. It's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why Roosevelt, in the early days, could get so much legislation through Congress. Sure. Yeah. Right, so I suppose we'll move on from the paper uh, to a couple of general questions just to close. Uh, are there any books or articles that you've read recently that have got you excited, either personally or about the state of the field? Uh, 
there's a book coming out today. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's been on Kindle for about a week. Okay. <laughs> uh, by Devin Coffey, C-A-U-G-H-E-Y, called The Unsolid South, uh, which deals, and, and the reason I was interested in it was the subject matter, because it's really dealing with the period 1938 to the 50s. Uh, and it's, it's raising, it's showing just how much flux there was among some politicians. Uh, on on ra- racial and non-racial issues during that period, um, but the particular reason I was was interested in looking at it was that um, uh, Devon was my um, did the MPhil in historical studies in Cambridge in the around about the two thousands and um, did it on three moderate Southern politicians. Mm. So that started to, didn't start them off, but it, it certainly pushed it in this direction. Down that track, yeah. So I I'm just fa- fascinated, and it's a very good book mm. published by Princeton. Uh, and so I've been both excited personally and uh, in, t- in terms of the subject matter. Yeah, as a reader, fantastic. Uh, so what's the most interesting place you've ever been for research? Um, I, I think it probably has to be, well, not interesting is perhaps not the right word, um, but uh, Murfreesboro, mm-hmm. uh, which is a small town in the middle. It's, it's, now, it's now virtually a sort of um, suburb of Nashville. Yeah. Um, but it's still got its old... Um, you know, courthouse and um, courthouse square. You can go to the city cafe, and it, as people would have done in the 1930s, uh, and pe- the people from the local law offices and things like that will be in there, uh, and you get a real feel and an awful, an, an enormous number of churches. Uh, and uh, it, it was just, it was just for me, it was just a great place to work. Uh, apart from being very evocative, because uh, Gore's papers are there. Uh, there's a research centre there which, is, which, which owes its existence to the fact that they received course papers and more mm. than you know. Uh, and uh, I mean, when I was ever I was working there, I was of course had free run of the place, and it was a, you know, it was just a, a very easy place to work. Oh, so experience, yeah. Well, just to close out, uh, what's your favourite album of all time? Uh, well, the favourite song of all time. Yeah. Um, sure. well, uh, I, I suppose my favourite album is probably Clare College Choir right. doing Messiah with the Freiburg Baroque Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favourite song of all time is James Taylor's Carolina on my mind. Fantastic. Brilliant choices. Right, well, Tony Badger, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, we look forward to hearing your paper at the seminar later and to reading the book when it comes out. Good. Thank Thanks you very, very much. much.